Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 71, Wonder Boy Rising, Freddy the Second. Before we begin, I have a little announcement. I have joined the Independent Podcast Alliance. Now you may be asking yourselves, what is that? Why did you join it? And why should we care? Well, the name is sort of self-explanatory. It's an independent podcast alliance. I joined basically because I was invited, and usually when I'm invited places, I go there. Then, the acronym IPA is one of my favourite kinds of beer. Having said this, within the alliance, there's also the possibility for an experimental advertising campaign. Now, boo, 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 advertising, I hear you say. Unfortunately, soon, I'll have to increase my hosting costs, so I will have to find a way to balance that out. I hope it won't be too annoying. But if I want to keep things open and all of the catalogue online, I may have to test it out. Anyway. Last time, we saw how the son of Frederick Barbarossa, Holy Roman Emperor Henry VI, had married Constance of Sicily, the only remaining heir to the throne of the Kingdom of Sicily, thus adding the kingdom to his holdings. The vassals in southern Italy hadn't been happy at this at all, and neither had the Pope, so they had elected Tancredi of Lecce as king. However, he had died before the definitive battle could take place, and Henry was able to win out in the end. Unfortunately, he had not lasted long enough to get properly into his ruling, his new extended empire, because he died in 1197. He left his widow Constance and a little son, Frederick, who was just shy of three years old. The little boy had been born in a military camp in a tent near the town of Yezi in the modern-day Marche region, while his parents were on their way down to Sicily. At the end of the last episode, we left off wondering if this little tyke would be up to the immense task of ruling a reign and an empire, and I suggested that if you wanted a clue, you could search on internet for Stupor Mondi, Wonder of the World. It was a name given to him by his contemporaries. This at a time when people believed in magic and monsters and were not easily amazed by much so he must have been quite a guy. The opinion was not unanimous. Let's see how Pope Gregory IX would later describe him, borrowing from chapter 13 of the book of Revelations. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had the feet like those of a bear, and the mouth like that of a lion. So, was Frederick II the amazing wonder of the world, as many contemporaries from Europe to the Muslim East thought, or 
the Antichrist, as many in the pro-papal circles believed. Well, you can imagine that we're in for a tale about a man who we can say is definitely contradictory. But before we delve into his life and reign, let me first introduce another character who we'll be talking about a lot more in the near future. At the time of Henry VI's death, there was a teenager from a well-to-do family in the town of Assisi, living the good life thanks to his parents' wealth. Perhaps neither he nor those around him could imagine that he would go on to become the patron saint of Italy and one of the most well-known religious figures in human history. His name was Giovanni di Pietro di Bernardone. But he was informally called Francesco, Francis. Let's now turn our attention to little Freddy. At the tender age of three, he was crowned king of the kingdom of Sicily, which extended to the modern-day regions of Calabria, Puglia and part of Campania, basically all of Italy south of the Papal States. With the death of Henry VI, the vassals of the kingdom rebelled and demanded that Constance the widow get rid of the annoying Germans. She was forced to comply, but at this point there was only one person she could turn to for badly needed support, and that was the Pope. The Pope at the time was Innocent III, and he used the difficult position that Constance now found herself in to extract concessions from the widowed empress, and so it was at this point that the kingdom once again became a vassal state of the papacy. What's more, Constance also entrusted the Pope with the care of her son in case of her death. Sure enough, the following year, 1198, Frederick also lost his mother. The Pope sent tutors to educate the young boy, and from the very start he surprised them with his skills and intelligence. At the age of four, he could already read and write. He studied history, philosophy, theology, astronomy, mathematics, botany, and music. He also learned to speak seven languages, including Greek, Hebrew, and Arabic. Speaking of which, the fact that he actually grew up in Sicily is quite important for his early and also later life. It meant that he spent his life in contact with a whole series of cultural influences, of which the Muslim one was still very much present and important, although decreasing as Christian dominance became stronger. In later life, his openness to other cultures, and the Muslim culture particularly, would gain him both great admiration and strong criticism. Having spoken about all of these cultural aspects, it must be said that Frederick was not just some nerdy bookworm. No, sir. He also became a very good rider and quite an accomplished hunter, developing in those early years his love for falconry, on which he would write a medieval bestseller in later years. In short, he was a wonder boy, a child prodigy, and came to be known as Puer Apulia, the child of Apulia, with the word Apulia 
being used to refer to all the southern part of the Italian peninsula and the island of Sicily. Basically what we've been calling the Kingdom of Sicily. However, things around him were not so wondrous and chaos reigned. With armed bands running amok, cities struggling to gain greater independence and all kinds of forces, including the barons and the church authorities, manoeuvring for position and waiting for the young boy to come of age. That he did on the 26th of December, 1208, and he was ready for action. Frederick of Sicily was quite a handsome-looking chap of average height, with a dark Sicilian complexion but nice rosy cheeks. He was robust, vigorous, and strong, with piercing light-coloured eyes. Pope Innocent III had maintained his influence over the boy, as his mother had requested, and he really hoped that the boy would stay on his side. The young man accepted the pontiff's proposal of marrying Constance of Aragon, and soon after they had a son, Henry. Teenager or not, the man knew what needed to be done, evidently. Innocent III continued to hope, but he also took some precautionary countermeasures. The first of these was aimed at avoiding the crown of Sicily being effectively united with that of the Holy Roman Empire. To avoid this, he offered the imperial crown to the German noble Otto of Brunswick, who had become the main contender after the death of Philip of Swabia, brother of Frederick's dad, Henry VI. Things started quite well with Otto coming down to Rome for the ceremony, but once he was there, he felt he kind of liked the idea of uniting the Sicilian crown to that of the empire. That being said, he obviously felt that it was on his head that said crown should be placed. What's more, he didn't see why the Pope needed all this land he had. Tuscany, for example. What was he going to do with Tuscany? He didn't need it, surely. I mean, Matilda of Tuscany had donated those lands to the church, but she was long gone by now. After occupying Tuscany, Otto quickly managed to subdue all of southern Italy and was ready to cross over to Sicily to put an end to the short-lived reign of Frederick. The Pope was not one to sit around and take this, so he wasted no time in excommunicating Otto's cheating bottom. Now we've spoken about the effects of excommunication before, but perhaps the most damaging for a ruler was that it lifted his or her vassals from the fealty they owed their overlord, meaning they were no longer tied to their oath. So if vassals were not pleased with their overlord but didn't want to be oath-breakers, a good old excommunication is what was needed. Indeed, in this case, the princes of Germany got together and decided to elect an alternative king of Germany who would then become Holy Roman Emperor. The man they opted for was little wonder boy Frederick Hohenstaufen himself, who was thus saved from imminent invasion from Otto because the latter had to race back up to Germany to sort things out. As he headed back up, the cities of northern Italy 
who had welcomed him with enthusiasm on his way down, now shut their gates in his face. Let's not forget that the communes of the north, which were such a thorn in Barbarossa's side, had not gone away, and would be happy to cause trouble to anyone wishing to assert authority over them. Frederick of Sicily could now finally make his way back over to the mainland with an army to give chase to Otto. In 1212, he left Palermo and made his way to Benevento and then Rome, where Innocent III met his pupil for the first time. He also reluctantly confirmed him as Holy Roman Emperor, although no crowning went on at this point. For the moment at least, the papacy and the empire were united in their intent, getting back at Otto and putting him out of the picture. In the end, Frederick got off pretty easy, avoiding a final showdown because it was international policies that ended up being the downfall of Otto. He had sided with King John of England and the Flemish in their battle to halt the advances of French King Louis Auguste. When the coalition lost to the French in the decisive Battle of Bourvines in 1214, the reign of Otto lasted only another year before he was forced to abdicate. Between the Battle of Bovine and the final crowning of Frederick, one of the actors on the scene left the stage in 1216. The formidable Innocent III died at the age of 56. In his place, Honorius III was elected, and it was he who finally crowned Frederick I of Sicily, Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II. The result was exactly what the papacy didn't want. The crowns of the Holy Roman Empire, the Kingdom of Italy and the Kingdom of Sicily were united. The Papal States were totally surrounded. Frederick celebrated by heading to the sepulchre of Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne and, perhaps in an excess of enthusiasm, vowing that he would free Jerusalem once again by taking up the Crusader's cross. This was an oath that could come back to bite him with big, sharp, nasty teeth, a bit like the killer rabbit. For now, an uneasy peace seemed to have settled in the now centuries-old rivalry between the Empire and the Papacy. Perhaps it could last for a while. I mean, hadn't Frederick been the Pope's boy, the young Puer Apulia? Perhaps this time they could find a way to coexist. As we already mentioned at the beginning of the episode, with the whole blaspheming Antichrist business, we know how very wrong those assumptions would turn out to be. Thanks very much to everyone, as always, for listening. Thanks in particular to my Matilde Di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini-level donors, Aaron, Benjamin, Deborah, Eric, R, Lorenzo, Maddie, Mattia, Paul, Scott, Thomas and YR. Weekly mention of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level Andrew, Anthony, Silane, Chris, Daniel, Dean, 
Greg, Ignacio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Marxist, Leninist, Sicilian, right alongside reactionary Venetian, Roberta, Rodney, Shelby, Stephen, and Vincent, and of course, as always, the tippy-top, Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Sen, Paolo, and Lisa Kay. Welcome, welcome, welcome to new Patreon supporters, Gordon Z and Paul P. Thank you very much to everyone for your support. Remember, if you want, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, where you can also click through to our social media and on the support page, if you're feeling generous enough in this Christmas period, help support the show. Until next time, thanks very much to everyone for listening and arrivederci e buone feste. Sentire Media Hey podcast producers and show hosts, do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.